Hallelujah. So we, we will continue today uh, from where we stopped yesterday, which is evangelism training and equipping the saints. So yesterday, uh, after I finished it, personally, we to one of the scriptures that I actually missed. Not that I missed it, but I, it was the last scripture before, I, before my time was up. And I would like to start with that scripture today. John chapter 20. John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verse 23. 23. Okay, we can stop on And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. 23, please. Receive ye the Holy Ghost. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold the forgiveness from any, it is withheld from them. And he explained this to us, which is in the provision of the scripture, that the forgiveness of sins right, come through us when we do what? When we preach the gospel. So the sins of men can only be forgiven when the gospel is preached to them and they believe. Don't forget, the scriptures we read, uh, I think that's Matthew 10. When we're reading Matthew 10, it said, Whosoever rejects you, right? There's a portion of it that says it will be better for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than that house that has rejected you. So he's saying that what he's saying in essence is that the house that rejects the gospel, their sins will not be forgiven. That's what it means. So for you to forgive the sins of others, not that you have the power, but for the sins of others to be forgiven, you have to go and preach the gospel. And where do we find this? This that we see in John. Where do we find it? We can find it in Luke 24, actually. We can find it in Luke 24, verse 46. It says, And it said to them, Thus it is written, that the Christ should suffer, on, and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name, to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. So it means that the forgiveness of sins comes by the preaching of the gospel. Do we get it? So the forgiveness of sin comes by the preaching of the gospel. So like every other, like every other spiritual activity, praying in tongues, prophesying, teaching the word, Evangelism, the, the, the same way by which praying in tongues needs you to be an active participant, right? That you cannot just sit down and say you want to receive a word and you are not praying in tongues and you're like, oh, I don't need to, I'm waiting for the Holy Ghost to come upon me. You know, that's the wrong doctrine, right? To say that you're waiting for the Holy Ghost to come upon you before you speak in tongues. It's a wrong doctrine. You have to participate. So when we say pray in the Holy Ghost, you pray in the Holy Ghost, just as we have been saying in business. So you don't wait on anything to make you shake or to make you vibrate or to make you feel high in the spirit before you pray in tongues. So just the same way, praying in the Holy Ghost, by praying in tongues, it involves you participating 
starting to pray in the Holy Ghost, and you begin to receive a word. Exactly the same way, evangelism takes place by your participation. Do we get it? So you don't wait in your house and you expect the sins of someone to be forgiven. So you start it, you participate in it. So it means that it is your job to engage evangelism. Is that supernatural activity? It is a spiritual activity, but like every other spiritual activity or every other spiritual exercise, the preaching of the gospel also needs your active participation in it. Do we get it? So you can't sit down in your house and expect the gospel to be preached. You can't sit down in your house. So if you see people that you desire that their sins are forgiven, of course, it should be everyone that you see. Right? We are going to see those areas where when you see, when you see a situation where you should begin to preach the gospel immediately. Practically, we're going to see. But what I'm trying to establish right now is that you have to be a, an active participant. You have to do something. It is when you begin to preach that you now get to receive a word of knowledge for someone who is refusing to believe. Right? But when you don't preach, you can receive such words. It's the same thing in praying in tongues. When you begin to pray in the tongues, you begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. You receive a word, right? You receive a word by the Spirit, and you are able to minister. So the same way, evangelism, when you begin to teach the facts about the deliverance of God, you are able to receive a word from the person. Because it's the same Spirit that is leading the teaching, the same Spirit that is giving the ministration of the gifts. Do you get it? All right, so I've established that. Now, what we want to do today will be very, very practical, right? I'll just be going straight to the point. Straight to the point, because we want to, uh, evangelism, we want to make it as practical as possible. And that is why I first established that you have to be the one to start to teach the gospel. Right? Then the Holy Spirit begins to guide you in areas. All right. So first, from yesterday, we saw the word Bashar, right? We saw the word Bashar yesterday, and we saw the word Uagelion, uh, which when it became an office, it became Uagelis. It changes. But it's the same word from the Old Testament, Bashar, Uagelion, Uagelis, which is the evangelist, right? We see it in all of that. And in all of that, we can observe the pattern. What do you observe? Most significant common pattern is that there's a person and there's a message. Do you see that? There's a person and there is a message. You are always seeing a person, and you are always seeing a mercy, right? So from that, the first thing that we are going to establish this morning, we're going to establish about a couple of five things, that is not evangelism. That you might be doing, but it's not evangelism. When we establish that, then we're now going to how to initiate conversations. So first, evangelism is not inviting someone to your church. You have to note it. Evangelism is not inviting someone to your church. Now we're going to go to Acts, Acts chapter 18, verse 24 and 28. Acts chapter 18. Now, before we read that, before we read that, let's go to Romans 16, 3 and 5. Romans 16, 3 and 5. Now, I want to show you that evangelism is actually not inviting someone to your church. So practically now, we are trying to see what is not. Are you there? Romans chapter 16, 3 and 5. 
Now, for him who is able to establish you according to according to my gospel and the preaching of the Christ of Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery, kept secret since no, that's not the scripture I'm looking for. All right, 16, verse 1 to 3. I commend you, sisters. I commend you to our sisters. So from, from verse 1. Romans 16 from verse 1. I commend you to our sister, Phoeb, a servant of the church at Tutere. Well, I don't know if I pronounced that well. That you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Now verse 3 says, Great Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ, who risk their neck for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but also the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Hallelujah. So, we establish here that in Priscilla and Aquila's house, there's what? There's a church in their house, right? Do we, do we establish that here? Paul said, greet the church in their house. They are my fellow workers, right? They are not just effective for me, but they are also contributing to the church of the Gentiles. Talking about other nations, right? Of the commonwealth of Israel, right? Okay. Now let's go to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. From verse 24. It said, now a Jew named Apollos... A native of Alexandria, Alexandria came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and be fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he had, when he had, and when he wished to cross to Achaia, now let's stop at verse twenty-six. It said he began to speak boldly. Sorry, he began to speak boldly in the synagogues. But when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him words aside, and they did what to him. They explained the word of God more accurately. So what they did is that they admitted him to the church in their house. Do we get it? So what they did is that. They admitted him to the church in their house, right? And after admitting him to the church, they didn't leave him there. They did what? They explained the word of God more accurately. Do you get it? So inviting someone to church is not evangelism until you explain the word of God more accurately to the person. Hallelujah. So, it is not evangelism when you invite someone to church until you explain the word of God more accurately. And I mean you. When I say you, I mean you. Now, it is interesting that, you know, it's a good thing that say, ah, please come and listen to my pastor. It's a good thing. Oh, come to my church on Sunday and listen to my pastor. But if you read Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, the instruction is actually to everybody, to the disciples, right? It says, go into the world and make disciples of all nations. So, it means that when you bring somebody to church, right? This is it. When you invite somebody to the church of God, to church, to listen to the sermon of the pastors, after the service, you have a responsibility to follow up on the person, to ask the person, did you understand what was taught? And teach the person 
what has been taught. There's a way it has been taught. Do you get it? So, you cannot just bring somebody to church. I invite you to church. Ah, did you enjoy the service? Oh, the service was nice. The choir sang. Well, that's none of your business. You that brought the person. That's, that's not where you are going. Where you are going is that, did you hear what the pastor preached? Did you understand? The person says, eh, I understand, you know. Even something that is preached directly to them, they can misquote the pastor, right? So, it is your responsibility. Now, you that invited to the person to preach the gospel to the person. For example, let me give you an example. You invited someone to your church and say, I've invited the person to the church and I'm doing evangelism. Glory be to God, the pastor was teaching rejoicing in the spirit. Rejoicing in the spirit is only what takes place in a believer. Now, the pastor is not, two weeks ago, he had set the foundation of being a believer, right? The person did not come to your church that day. The following week, they taught about how to receive the Holy Ghost. The person did not come to your church. The day you invited them is the day they taught rejoicing in the Holy Ghost. The person is not a believer. The person has missed two teachings. Now it's your responsibility to pick up that person and teach those two teachings so that the person can catch up. That is now evangelism. Hallelujah. Do we get it? That is how to do evangelism. So inviting somebody to your church is not evangelism until you teach them the way of the Lord. Is it hard work? Yes. Is it hard work? Will you do it? Yes. Is it your responsibility? Yes. No, it's hard work. No, no, no. You have to admit that it's hard work. It's hard work. It's, don't, don't from here. It's hard work. You have to sit down. Pastor taught it in one hour. You probably will have to teach it in two hours because you too, you probably don't have some clarity about some things, right? So if your pastor can teach it in two hours, you probably teach it in two hours to the person. You have to spend time with the person. You have to keep... So, that is how deliberate evangelism is. That is how deliberate evangelism is. So I've been able to establish that fact. Now, the second fact. All right, so let, let me quickly read Acts chapter 2. Let's go to Acts, Acts chapter 2. To establish the pattern by which people are being added to the church. Because most of the time, we always say that the increase of the church is in the number that is seated. Right? So let's check the pattern at which people have been added to church. It's good that you want the numbers in the church to increase. It's a beautiful thing. But let's see the pattern by which the gospel, I mean, the church of God increases. Acts chapter 2 verse 41. Acts chapter 2 verse 41. It said, then those who gladly received this word were baptized. And that day about 3,000 souls were added towards to them, right? So, it's saying that after Peter had taught, right? After Peter had taught, if you read from verse 30, 37, it says, now, when they, when they heard this, they were caught to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, shall, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive this, this gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. Right? And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So, those who received the word were baptized. So, the pattern of actually adding to the church is actually preaching the gospel. Someone receiving it, then... 
becoming a part of the church. Now, another point there, which I don't know if I would, if it will be part of what I will say, but I'll just quickly drop it, is that the end point of evangelism is for people to become part of the local church. After being preached to, after being taught the word of God, the end point of evangelism is that people can become part of a local church. So, if I say I'm going to evangelism and I'm going to teach the word to people who have not believed, and I say, oh, personally, I've done it before out of the innocence of my heart and out of the fact that there's so much, you know, okay, I'll say lack of understanding and also because there's so much... uh, People become apprehensive when you say, oh, I want to invite you to my church, right? So people have gotten a whole lot of that. Like, a whole, people, are, people are tired of being invited to church. So when I go for evangelism, I'm just like, I don't want to, I'm not, I'm not coming here to preach my church. You know, I'm just coming here to preach Jesus. But the problem is now that after I preach the Jesus, I will now leave them on the streets. Because if you don't point them back to the local church, you will leave them on the streets. Right? So it is wrong or it is not accurate, let me put it that way, to say that you just want to go and preach Jesus and you don't care about the... Because don't forget, we said that when you are believed, you are called into a family. Do we get it? So you are called into a family. It means that after sharing the message of Christ, the message of deliverance of God, you have to introduce them to the family. Do we get it? You introduce them to the family. So, the pattern by which the church grows, right, the pattern by which the church increases is by evangelism, teaching the world, people believing, and coming to become members of the church. So, inviting someone to church and just leaving the person is not evangelism. It's not. Now, the second one I want to explain is that sharing tracks is not evangelism. We're going to see it from the scriptures. The question is, from Genesis... From the scriptures and the epistles, the the scriptures, the gospel and the epistles, from that word, Bashar, from that word, Eugelion, we do not see sharing of tracts in part of the way that information is being passed. I'm not saying sharing of tracts or papers is not good. That's not what I'm saying. I'm only trying to explain to you that that itself, that action, giving it to somebody, is just like still saying you invite somebody to church and you do not explain the gospel to the person. Do you get it? So, sharing tracts is not... A, now, I think, I, I think it was Pastor or someone that said that. The, the scroll itself, the worth of that scroll is about how much? About $2,000. <laughs> I to tell you the value of what is in that scroll. Now, you now carry a sheet of paper that is not, first of all, complete. It's not even... It's a summary of the summary of the summary. Do you know what I mean by the summary of summary of summary? The summary of the scriptures, we say is the epistles. From the epistles, you now carve out something. And sometimes we even impute stories. You now give it to somebody. You will not help the person because the person does not know where the story is coming from. The person does not just read a story and you just look at... The person is confused because that thing is not complete. It's not a complete message. So sharing tracks actually is not evangelism. So how, do, how, how, how does it become evangelism? How or what can we do more? I think that's the question. What can we do more to make that 
part of our evangelism and become effective. Let's check. Um, I think I've mixed my. Okay. All right. Let's check the book of the book of Acts, Acts chapter eight. Let's see someone who was actually reading a scroll and did not even understand the scroll that he was reading. Right. Acts chapter eight, verse twenty-six. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. So now the angel of the Lord said to Philip, the same Philip we we're talking about yesterday, a part of the supernatural things is did, is preaching the gospel. So rise and go towards the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went. And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official, a candence, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of a treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning seated in his chariot and he was reading the prophets, Isaiah. The spirits, and the spirit said to Philip, go and join his chariots. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I, unless someone guides me, and, invi and he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb, before his sharer is silent. So he opened out his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied. Who can describe his generation? For his life was taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, About whom I ask you, does the prophet say about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning... With this scripture, he told him the good news about what? About Jesus. So, what did Philip do to him? He preached to him. So, someone is even reading a scroll that contains the prophecy, right? Something that you can, you know, let's say an advanced form of a tract and did not understand. It means that when you give someone a tract, you should stay to explain what is inside that truck? Otherwise, you will mislead the person. See, in fact, give the, if you can read it to the person, you read it, or you give the person to read, read, but you must find a way to explain to the person what is inside that truck. And that will mean that you have to teach from the scriptures. You have to teach from the gospels. You have to teach from the epistles. To tell the person, this is just a way to get your attention. Right, that is what tract actually is. Tract is only a way to get the attention of someone you have met. Right, your duty is actually to speak and to teach, just as we see Philip doing in that place. So, what it means is that the gospel, preaching the gospel, involves a verbal explanation. Preaching the gospel involves a verbal explanation. Don't forget yesterday we read. He said, be ready to give an answer. Right? The word answer is to explain. It's to explain to someone the faith that you have believed. So, you have to explain to someone what is inside the trap. Don't forget, he's also said that, that the communication of your faith. So, it means that you have to say it. It's a verbal explanation. So tract is evangelism until you preach and explain what is inside that tract. Now, the third thing is that morality is not evangelism. 
morality is not evangelism. So practically, we are bringing out this. I'm good to my boss. It's not evangelism. I'm effective in my office. It's not evangelism. There are people that are more effective than you. Let me tell you, me, in my work in, 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 in CIU, right? There's a lady I met there. I know that if I will be effective with this, if I will be effective like this lady, I will not do the work of the gospel. I know that in that office, if I will be effective like this lady, I will not, do, I will not even come to church because she, leaves, she comes very early, 7 o'clock. She leaves at like 6 o'clock. 6 o'clock, probably there's midweek meeting. I have to leave, right? In the middle of it, during break time, you know, people will come to you at your office. You have to maybe share or discuss. Some brothers that in CIU will meet. That time, she will still be in the dean's office. Ah, I'm like, this one, if that, now, now tell me that that goodness and that kindness is evangelism. No, that's not. So, our diligence in all those places is not evangelism. You're, I'm not saying you should not be diligent. Don't get me wrong, right? I'm not saying you should not be diligent. I'm not saying you should not be good. Giving flowers to people, smiling, doing, a, it's, it's, they are good work, like they are good things, right? But it's no evangelism. Do you get it? Until the gospel is preached, evangelism has not been established. <laughs> Do you get it? Until the gospel is preached, evangelism has not been established. Now, your good conduct and your moral conduct can cause somebody to pay attention to you. Do you get it? It can cause someone to pay attention to you. And the attention, you will take advantage of that and preach the gospel. Hallelujah. So all those things that we do, is not the gospel yet, until we preach it. Now, those things are for people to be able to pay attention to you. They were reading about Cornelius this morning, and I was like, wow. The scripture that we need. It was a good man, right? A man that prays, you know. We can call him a, a, a man that understands the scriptures, right? But has not received the word, right? So, it means that in all of the good things he's doing, he still needs to do what? To hear the word of God. All right. So, let's go to that scripture, that scripture of Cornelius. Let's just go there. That's Acts chapter 10. I'm just going to read the introduction to, to tell you the kind of man he is. And to tell you that even such men still needs to be preached to. He said, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian court. A devout man who feared God with all his household, gave hands generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. He prayed continually to God. So he must have heard about God in certain ways, right? In certain manners. In the manners that he has been taught by his fathers, in the manner that has been spoken by the prophet, but the gospel of Christ needed to be preached to him, right? So they needed to explain those scriptures that is reading that that Messiah is Christ, the deliverer is Christ. So morality and your doing good acts is actually not the gospel. Say so your good conduct or Christian, uh, your good conduct or your loving and caring experience is not the preaching of the gospel until you share the gospel. Now, the next thing I, I said yesterday, which I, I mean, I'm not going to emphasize, is that preaching about hell is not the gospel. I already said that yesterday. Preaching about hell is not the gospel. Your business, you have no business with hell. You have business with heaven. Hallelujah. Hope you understand heaven in that context. You have business with heaven, not hell. So you have 
to explain the activities of God's kingdom. That is your business, right? That is the business of the Father. You have to explain the activities of God's kingdom. Also, witnessing your experience away from the word is not evangelism. So, witnessing how you came to how, how you came to believe, right, is not exactly evangelism. The reason is because sometimes these experiences, right, these experiences would involve some what what one of the pastors I listened to called low level of revelation, right. Until the main level of revelation comes. Do you know what they call low level of revelation? For a believer, the past, I mean, I was just listening, he said, he said that, that is the lowest level of revelation that a, a believer should ever depend on and should never even depend on it. It's vision and dreams. <laughs> vision and dreams. So we see that in the case of Cornelius, right? Now, he, he had a vision, right? And from there, Peter also had a vision and he had to go and preach. We see vision and dreams there. But do we see that what saved the man is not the vision and the dreams. Do you realize that what saved the man is not a vision and the dreams? The vision and the dreams were just a guide so that people can meet and the gospel can be preached. Do we get it? So, I mean, someone said, you have been dreaming all your life and you became a believer, you kept on dreaming. So, who was speaking before that time? <laughs> now that you're a believer, who is speaking? So, you have to be careful of, you know, vision and dreams. Because they are the lowest level of revelation, right? So, in, in this context, we see how he made a preacher, right, and someone who needed to believe to meet together. So, now, in, in cases, in God uses this from, from testimonies of people that are in persecuted region. How many of us saw the news yesterday that they arrested someone that was preaching the gospel? Did you see the news? Yes. Someone was preaching the gospel, and the person was actually, was, they said he was doing, I'm not sure they said he was doing an authorized evangelist presentation under the paid means of unauthorized presentation. But I, I don't know the full story, because what I read there, I, I feel it's not complete. The news is not complete, right? Because the word unauthorized is to be explained what is unauthorized, right? Uh, then, how does he relate to the national law? So, now, in persecuted regions like this, like this, this is a persecuted, you have to agree to that. This is a, is a place where Christians have been persecuted. The, the point is that you can't preach as much as you want. Right now, this vision and dreams can come as a, I mean, like Pastor Luce uh, said, let me use that same word, let me borrow that word, can be granted to someone so that they can be led to a place where the gospel will be preached to them. I had somebody, like, I had a believer. Oh, such dreams and visions actually are low level. They are as pointers to the person of the person that will preach you to understand who Christ is. Hallelujah. All right. So preaching your experience is not as exactly evangelism until you the message of Christ is preached. I don't, need, I don't think I need to overemphasize this. Uh, changing church is also no evangelism. Changing church, changing pastor, I don't know. I just, I just found that in one of my teachings, you know, uh, saying you want to change church or, or you want to change pastors. I mean, it's, that's someone actually that actually is in the body of Christ and is confused. 
is confused and needs to be taught. We are going to see them, the category of people that when you preach to, you know that actually I'm not evangelizing to this guy. I'm only teaching him to be committed to his church. I'm only teaching him to be committed to his church. So those are the things that I know evangelism, right? Quickly. So let's move to the next thing. All right, so the next thing we'll just, to just highlight some points again, of course, we have seen it already in what we we're teaching yesterday. The significance of evangelism. Just write it down. The significance of evangelism. The significance of evangelism. The significance of evangelism. First Timothy 2, verse 3. First Timothy 2, verse 3. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Now, look at the context of what has taken place there. Look at the context of what has taken place there. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercession, this is the prayer we pray all the time, right? And thanksgiving be made for all the sins. Go from verse 1, sorry. Go from verse 1. For this is good and acts, oh, sorry, okay, from verse 1. Therefore, I exalt first of all that supplications, prayers, and intercessions and giving of thanks be made for all. Next. For kings and all who are in authority that they may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Next. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God, our Savior. The next verse, please. Who desires all men to be saved and to Come to the knowledge of the truth. Did you see that? So God desired all men to be what? To be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So what is the kind of prayer, right, that you'll be praying for all men in authority? What is the kind of prayer you'll be praying for them? That they will come to the knowledge of what? The truth. So evangelism is God's desire that all men will come to believe, right? All men will do what? All men will come to believe. So it is important because God desires all men. All men means all men. It means everybody. Right? It means the, you know, so let me use the word of some very spiritual person. The vilest offender, the vilest offender will also believe. Right? So that is, that is what God wants. So it means that now in this context, there's also another message. That you cannot pray somebody to be saved. Do you get that? You cannot pray somebody, I pray that this person is saved. I pray that this person is saved. Redirect the prayer. Let's, let's arrange the prayer very well. You will pray that God will send forth laborers. That is what we saw, right? We saw that this week. That God will send forth laborers to preach to them. So, the person that you are praying for the person to be saved, the accurate prayer is to pray that somebody will go and preach to them. Is you to also find somebody that you can send to them. So if you have family members that have not believed in your country, right? You have family members. What you can do is to link them up to a Bible-believing church or you send someone, maybe one of your friends that has received, the, that has believed the gospel. So can you just visit my house and, you know, do this assignment? It's an assignment. Third person, do this assignment. Just share the gospel. So for someone who is unsaved, you cannot pray the person into salvation. 
We preach people into salvation to believe. We preach people into salvation. All right. So we see that it's actually the desire of the Father that all men believe. Right? So if someone is saying, oh, God, God has only called a few people, the people that some people will be destroyed. I did not see that though. What I just know is that God desires all men to be saved. Do we get it? So there's nobody that is appointed unto destruction. No. So nobody is appointed unto destruction. That, oh, so somebody, even if you go for evangelism, maybe we'll, try, we'll check some questions. Some people, you will go for evangelism. You are teaching them, and they are like, eh, what about those people that will not believe? Ah, ah. <laughs> they are preaching to you. <laughs> They are preaching to you. You, you have not believed. You are concerned about others. Now, that's one thing you must learn in evangelism. <laughs> Cody and Prince are laughing because I'm sure they've experienced this thing very well because they, they go for evangelism. They've seen people like this. Always, when you're doing evangelism, always, when the person is trying to divert attention to all other things, all, always bring it back to him. Always bring it back to him. The person wants to take your attention. What, the person is concerned about many things that are not even part of their business. Do you get? So, they say, ah, what a, did God create? He's not heaven and it. Don't worry. You believe. The point is that, this is, your, this is your point for them. Until you believe, you cannot have the understanding of all those things. Do you get it? Until you believe, you cannot. So, people will be distracting you. Oh, what about this person? What about the one that has no idea the gospel? What? The one that has no idea the gospel, that's why I'm here. That's why me, I'm here, so that the person can hear. If you believe now, we are two, right? More people will do what? Will hear the gospel. Do you get it? So, you don't need to, people don't need, I'm just dropping this, you know, they're part, they're part of the things that I'll be teaching, but you must just know that people want to distract, you know, you. All right, so first, it's a desire of God that all men come to, 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 to the knowledge of the gospel of Christ. Now, let's check. Uh, 2 Peter 3.9 also. 2 Peter 3.9. What we are saying, all men, all should come to repentance. All should come to believe the gospel. So the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but all should come towards, should come to repentance. Right? So it means to come to believe, to live unbelief. So God is desiring that all man will turn to believe the gospel. Do we get it? It's coming. He's saying that all men will do what? Will turn to the gospel of Christ. All right. So yesterday, uh, after the teachings, I think someone, I got a couple of, not a couple of questions, but I just think I need to clarify something from... Uh, I think it's Luke 10, right? Luke 10, that I was teaching, and I explained that. Um, I explained that. What did I explain from that? Is it Luke 10 or even Matthew 10? Let's go to Matthew 10. I think it was Matthew 10 that I explained something. Sir? No, no, Matthew 10. Matthew 10. The one that I was explaining that people had uh, a priority, Matthew chapter 10. So, Matthew chapter 10, from the last verses. I explained there that the people here are actually, um, sorry, is it a scripture? No, no, it's probably Luke 9, right? Just one minute. Towards the end of Luke 9, right? 
Okay, let, let's check that. Yes, towards the end of Luke 9, right? So, the best, I was asked the question, right, that uh, does it mean that they are not fit to preach the gospel, right? They are not fit to preach the gospel. Now, first of all, let's, let's just lay this foundation. That the moment a believer, the moment someone believes, the person is qualified to share the same message. Are we on that? So, we agree on that, right? And we can see that in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Right? Because the new man in Christ receives a ministry. Do we get it? So the new man in Christ receives what? A ministry. So the person has the ministry to go and teach the same word. Right? We now read 1 Peter, I think 1 Peter 3. You want to talk about the communication of your faith will be effective when you have more knowledge about you. So when you come to believe, you can share the gospel straight up. Right? That is clear. What do you need more? You need more knowledge, right? You need more knowledge. So you will grow in knowledge. Hallelujah. So growing in your stature involves growing in the knowledge of Christ. So you grow to know him more, right? So that when you're sharing the gospel, you will not share the gospel like a sinner. Or you share the gospel as, in effect, you, you, you meet the person and you're like, you know, I'm not, exactly, I'm not sure. I'm not sure kind of a gospel. It does not help, right? It does not help the person to grow. So, you continue to grow in the knowledge of Christ so that you would, this is not assurance of your faith. Your assurance of your faith is set from the beginning. That you'll be assured of what you are being taught. You'll be assured of the scriptures. The scriptures will confirm itself to you. So, you are saved, you can preach the gospel. You are what? You, you grow in the knowledge of God, you can have assurance of what the scripture is saying. So, it means that the word I explain is that, you, that means that, or from the ex- explanation I got is that you can be, you cannot, okay, let me start the way you cannot first. You cannot be an unholy Christian. It's a contradiction to your nature. You cannot be a Christian and you are unholy. You cannot be a sinner Christian. You cannot. Because that aspect is talking about your identity. Do you get He's talking about your identity. So, you cannot, a Christian is a holy, set aside for God, is found in Christ. Do you get it? So, it is a contradiction to say you are an unholy Christian. Or, even to use a holy believer is a tautology. Do you get it? To use a holy believer is a tautology, right? You're repeating the same thing. Christian is found in Christ, is holy. However, you can be an uncommitted Christian. It's a matter of conduct. It's not a matter of your identity. Do you get it? That is why Peter would teach about conduct of believers in a persecuted world. He teach about their conduct, right? How they should behave. First Peter, second Peter, teach about their conduct. So it means that you can begin to craft out other priorities for yourself. That is not the gospel. That is your conduct. You are that's you are conducting yourself and not making the gospel a priority. That has nothing to do with your identity. Is something that you are to be taught that you will change your conduct. So don't be an uncommitted believer. So what is happening there in that Luke 9 is actually trying to tell them that in your conduct, the gospel must be the first. In your conduct, the gospel must be the first. So they have two conduct. The conduct of going to bury his father and the conduct of preaching the gospel. And say, let me do this one first, then let me come back to this. Right? Just say, no, this must be the first. Right? So that is what is happening. So we can say that evangelism is significant significance because it is the priority of the father. 
it is the priority of the father. Like, it is the priority of the father. We see it there. And that's why Jesus said, you know, no one puts a hand on this, on this ministry, or on this plow, and looks by his feet. The word feet means that it's not that you're not qualified. He's not talking about qualification. He's saying that you are, you, you, how can I put it? Feet means, can you borrow me a word to put it? It's not qualification now. It's not qualification. It's talking about somebody that is able to do something effectively. That's what he's talking about. To do it effectively, right? Feet means that you can expand this kingdom effectively. And that was why I gave the illustration of doing evangelism once in a while. It's not, you know, it's not effective, right? Okay, so we can see that it's the priority of the father. That is what we see there. All right, so the next one is that when, so the next part of the significance of evangelism is that evangelism brings about rejoicing in the body of Christ. We'll see it in the scriptures. Evangelism brings about rejoicing in the body of Christ. It means that one of those things that we can rejoice over, we can be joyful over, is when someone believes, right? So we can go to Luke Luke chapter 15, and we can read it from there. And some people would think that that thing was actually talking about heaven in the sense of the angels and the, you know, but thank God, the killer these various messengers, right? When we see the word angels, it does not mean the angelic being. In fact, in this context, when I read it, it was pointing to people. So let's read. He said, now the tax collectors and the sinners were all drawing near to hear him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one then, lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he, find, when he found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I, am, I have found my sheep that was what? That was lost. Now, this parable is interesting. Why is it interesting? Because it's a parable. And you must be careful with what? Parables. What is the message of this parable? The message of the, the end of this message of this parable is that there is rejoicing when a sinner believes. Now, people will say, Okay, let me just quickly say that. He leaves the 99 and came after me. He leaves the 99. And for, Jesus did not leave any 99. That's the truth. It's a parable, right? So, for the father to say he left the 99, he did not leave. Now, the question is, he came back to his house, but that 99 is still in a far country. That means he abandoned them for life and came to his household alone with one. He's only talking about the intensity, how he feels in the heart of the father. Right? To go after a lost person. Do you get it? How he feels in the heart of the father to go after a lost person. So that is what he's showing. He's not saying that those 99 is believers. He's not, they're not, they're not talking about, it's only the focus in that one that he found and brought back home and they're rejoicing. Do we get it? So it will mean that God did not leave us. He did not, I mean, I, I, we can't even picture that in salvation. Do you know we can picture that? That's, you know, if, I mean, I, I don't even know where I can find the scripture. Note that it's a parable. 
Do you get it? And the message there is rejoicing. Okay, the message there is rejoicing. Now, let's, let's continue reading. It says, Rejoice with me, for I have found the sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than, night, than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So you've seen that 99 there, right? It's just trying to explain that if people don't need repentance, God will go after the one that is lost. Now, let's read verse 8. The more explanation is there as well. It says, Or what woman, he gave them another one, or what woman having... Ten silver coins. If she loses one, does not light a lamp and sweep the house, seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and a neighbor, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. So the word rejoice again. So just so I tell you that there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who do what? Who repents. So he's not talking about the angels of God in heavenly places with wings and all of those. He's talking about those who preach the gospel. In fact, in the origin, in the application, he talks about pastors. He's used the word pastors, right? People who carry the message of the gospel and they go about preaching it. So there is rejoicing among them. In the kingdom of God, there is rejoicing because someone has been added to what? To the family, right? So someone has been added to the family. So there's rejoicing. So if, if you want us to rejoice the more, right? If you want this experience, you have to go out and evangelize and preach. You have to go out, evangelize and preach and teach people so that when we come, we say, ah, there's somebody new in the house today. You know, look at the way we welcome newcomers, right? Look at the way we welcome newcomers. Welcome home to NECF. You know, it will be very glad that those people believe. And I'm sure that's, you know, that's one of the things the evangelism team and other teams are doing. All right. So there's rejoicing in, in the body of Christ. So another significance is that it's a spiritual exercise, right? Evangelism is a spiritual exercise. You start it up, you trigger it because you are a, you're an active participant. You start it up, but it's a spiritual exercise. So you have to be sensitive to what is going on there. It's a spiritual exercise, so you have to be sensitive. Second Corinthians 4, verse 3. Second Corinthians 4, verse 3. It said, And if our gospel is veiled, right? Let me just read from verse 1. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose hearts, but we have renounced disgraceful on underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of the truth, we would condemn, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the mind of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. Hallelujah. So it means that if you're preaching to an unbeliever, don't take it as, you know, don't take it lightly. That is one of, don't take it, it's a spiritual exercise. So if you are talking to somebody and the person is saying, what about this? What about this? Know that something is trying to put a veil on his face so that he will not see what you are saying. 
So your duty is to always try to remove that veil. Try to, you'll be sensitive to know how to remove that veil. And that is why the accuracy of the explanation of the scripture is important. Do we get it? So, when you are preaching the gospel, you must be observant. You are teaching the person, you are teaching the deliverance of God, you are preaching about Christ, and the person is asking questions. Know that there's something, it's a spiritual thing that is happening, trying to cover the person's life. Because if you leave the person there, the person will not believe. Some of us, it's normal, it happens that you have gone to evangelize and the person did not believe. True or false? Have you not preached to somebody that you left the person on the field? The person has still not believed. Some of us, the person even asks you questions. It's question that made you pause and you just left it. You left the person hanging. It happens. If you have done evangelism, we grow in these things, okay? We grow in these things. You must know it, right? You must know that we grow in this thing. So, you will grow in it, but it happens. So, when that is happening, you must be able, and that is why they said, you know, the, the, the spiritual gifts are very utmost important on, during evangelism. Because what can actually remove that veil? Spiritual gifts can do that. It can quickly remove that veil. It will, the person will not ask any question again. Imagine you administer healing in the process of preaching the gospel. You have, you, have, you have canceled thousands of questions. You will still preach the gospel. In fact, it's you that will be bringing questions that you need to know this one. This is the question. It's you that are not, but because there's an administration of the spiritual, the spiritual gift of God, it makes the word even, it makes the work lighter, easier. Let me put it that way. So, preaching the gospel is actually a spiritual thing. So when somebody is refusing to believe, just know that there's something behind it and your duty is to go behind and take it off. Hallelujah. All right. So let's quickly go. Um, Matthew 28, 19. So where do I evangelize? And when do I evangelize? That's the next thing. Where do I evangelize? And when do I evangelize? Matthew 28, Verse 19 to 20. Matthew 28, verse 19 to 20. Let's start from verse 18. So Jesus came to them and said to them, he came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Hallelujah. The God therefore, right? The God therefore, actually, the God therefore is talking about, is not saying start traveling all around the world. Actually, that is not what that go there for means, right? It's basically explaining that starting from your immediate environment, that is what it means. Starting from your immediate environment, that is where you start to preach. So preaching starts from where? My immediate environment. So preaching starts from my immediate environment. If you want people in... <laughs> my favorite, if you want people in Canada, I will say it. If you want people in Canada to be saved, you can pray that God will send laborers there. But you, your labor, your, your, your field is your local environment. 
Did you get it? The word came, Canada. I don't know. I said I will not say it, but I will say it. <laughs> you know? But yes. Your immediate environment is the first place where that goal is effective. Do we get it? All right, let's see. Let's see. I think one scripture just came to my head, not part of my teaching, but I'll just go to Acts chapter 1. And you will see the procession at which Jesus gave for the teaching of the gospel. And I'll, I'll just pick that principle for me. It said, it said to them, Acts chapter 1 verse 7. You can still hold on to the Matthew. Acts chapter 1 verse 7 says, It is not for you to know the times and seasons that the Father had fixed to, to know the, sorry, it is not for you to know the times or season that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you and you will be my witness in, starting from where? Jerusalem, your own place where you are. And all Judea and Samaria. And to what? To the ends of the earth. Let me tell you, to the ends of the earth simply means even when you leave Jerusalem. Wherever you now go, you now find yourself. You must continue preaching. Do you get it? So it means that starting from Jerusalem where you are to every other part and to the ends of the earth means X. Fit in anywhere you find yourself. X, just put it, find the X. The X is wherever you find, everywhere you always find yourself. Right. So it means that relocating does not stop evangelism. Hallelujah. Relocating does not what? Stop evangelism. Because you live here, you now shift. I'm in the UK now, you know. This place, everything is working. What do you want to preach to people about? You're foolish. You're foolish because you have... You have summarized the work of salvation into job, employment, light, electricity, security, and economy. That is foolishness. That is why we say that if that is what Jesus is preaching, right, all those things. If you go to those countries, you will not find a reason to pray. You will not find it. It's because you lack knowledge, right? So, relocating to anywhere does not stop evangelism. Rather, it continues wherever you find yourself. So, the goal, therefore, is actually talking about your immediate environment. So, the question comes to us now. Where is our immediate environment? Where is everybody echo it? Where is our immediate environment? Not Cyprus. Not Cyprus. Now, in not Cyprus, where... Thank you. Say it, Sousa. Where is your immediate environment? Lefkosha. <laughs> Lefkosha is your immediate... That is your ever-immediate environment. Do we get it? So the preaching of the gospel must start from where? Left kosher. So that is the first place you go to preach the gospel. And we will see Jesus teaching them, you know, in Matthew 9, 35. So Jesus went about the cities and villages, right? So he started his ministry from Galilee. All that region, that's his immediate environment. Right? He was not concerned about all. He started in his immediate environment. Let's start preaching from there. So our immediate environment is Lefkosha, and Lefkosha is where we will start. Hallelujah. Okay. So I've been able to establish that now. So where? Or Lefkosha. We've answered that question. Now. All right. Now, practically now, when, when should, I'm in Lefkosha, right? I'm in Lefkosha now. I'm, I'm walking around. 
when should I intervene with the preaching of the gospel? When should I intervene with the preaching of the gospel? Like, is it that, oh, anytime, like, what can be a trigger? Let's put it that way. What can be a trigger for the preaching of, like, you know, you're just in Lefkosha. What are the things that you can see that will say, we need to preach the gospel. This thing is taking place. Oh, this one is happening here. We need to preach the gospel. Oh, this one is taking place. What can we see? This thing, you can find it in every environment. But it's just an highlight so that when you see those things, you can remember that we need to preach the gospel. And you can minister the gospel there. Right? You can minister the gospel there. So, first, first, when we should initiate a conversation, or when, I mean, I think that is, that is the word, when we should initiate a conversation of the gospel. First, when you see unbelief, when you see unbelief taking place, unbelief, which is the same thing, I mean, what was the same thing as seen, right, which is expressed in the flesh, right, you see somebody committing what you now call sin, the works of the flesh, there should be the intervention of the gospel. Initiate a conversation right there and there. Do you get it? So you see somebody walking in unbelief, right? Expressing it in sin, maybe stealing, lying, all those things, right? Those are the things that you can see, right? But you and I know that behind that is a wall of unbelief. Hallelujah. True So it's a wall of unbelief that is behind that. So when you see a wall of unbelief, what you do is you initiate the gospel. So you find people talking about there is no God. Ah, this is unbelieving, this one. It's sin too. Right? You see people engaging in conversation of fraud. You say, ah, no, this one is unbelief that is saying. Do we get it? So we can, we can just check Acts chapter 4 and see if we can find something uh, in the light of that there. Acts chapter 4. It said, And when they were speaking to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees from verse 1, they came upon them greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day. Now, what was happening here is because a group of Sadducees and Pharisees, right, who never believed that Jesus resurrected, who did not believe that he died and rose again, are we together? They heard them preaching the gospel, right? And they were annoyed. They were annoyed that they were talking about Christ because they did not believe. So the next thing the apostle did, let's read from verse 5. Verse 5, it says, On the next day, their rulers and their elders, the scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas, the high priest, and Cephas, and John, and Alexandra, and all of the high priest family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired of them, by what power or by what name did you do these things? Then Peter filled with the Holy Ghost. He said, rulers, he said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we were examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. 
and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under the heaven among men by which we must be what? Saved. What did he do again? He preached again. They arrested him for preaching. The defense of your arrest is still the preaching of the gospel. Do you realize that? When somebody is arrested for the gospel, if you read the stories of Paul very well, the, the, the Paul's writings, it said before Festus, when he was defending himself, this thing I'm saying is not a lie. It's the fact. You, Festus, have you not read the Gospels? Have, sorry, have you not read the, the Scriptures to see that what I am preaching is in alignment with the Scriptures? So Paul defends his arrest by still preaching the Gospel. You know, Festus said, because him, I mean, it was evident, right? It was evident that Paul had studied the scriptures. It was evident. He said, you are mad because you have been reading too many things. Because he knew that this defense can only come from somebody that had studied the scripture. So, where there is unbelief and you are being arrested, the defense of the scripture, the defense of your arrest is still the preaching of the scripture. It means that it's the truth. If you say anything otherwise, then you begin to lie. Hallelujah. So when there is sin, when there is unbelief, right, that is a place where you should preach the script. You should preach. You should find people preaching. Another one, the second thing that you must identify in your immediate environment is ignorance. 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 Ignorance is actually one of the, you know, the good ones. Ignorance is one of the areas that you must identify in your environment. Acts chapter 17, verse 23. Look at how somebody capitalized on ignorance. There's nothing wrong in capitalizing it. Just make sure that you're capitalizing it for the sake of the gospel. Acts chapter 17, verse 23. Let's start from verse 22. So Paul standing in the midst of Arpagus said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I pass along and observe the object of your worship, I found also an altar with the inscription to the unknown God. So, you can find people who are ignorant. They don't know what they are worshiping. But they just know one God exists. Some people just, I just know God exists. I know there's an almighty. I know there's a mighty being. You've met people that are there. They say, I know God, but... I don't know that God. I don't know which way, but I shall know God. Some people will agree with you. They are not atheists, but they are antichrist. Do you get that? They are not atheists, but they are antichrist because they might not believe Christ. They might not accept Christ. So, what therefore, let's continue reading. What therefore you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you now. <laughs> actually, that's funny. That's actually funny. Paul is saying that all those, is Paul trying to say that all those idols, all those things that you guys, I'm, is that is Paul trying to say that I'm proclaiming the message of those idols to you? No. Paul is not saying that I'm pro, it's all those things that I'm pro, No, no, no. Paul is taking advantage of their ignorance that since you don't know the God you serve, right? Me, let me tell you about the real God. So he said, What therefore you worship is unknown, this I proclaim to you. The God who made the heavens, who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in these temples made by hands. So he's trying to tell you that God does not live in all of this. Let me tell you about this God. 
nor, in, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. So he brought logic there. So if God is almighty, why should he be served by human hands? Since he himself gave all mankind life and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwellings, that they, may sh that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way towards him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live, we move, and we have our being. That's where our scripture came from. As some of you own as some of your own poets have said. So he's probably quoting one of their poets that have been writing something about God, but does not really understand who God is. So what he did here was to capitalize on their ignorance to begin to teach, right? So if you continue reading from verse 29, it says, being then God's offsprings, we ought not to think that the divine being is like God or silver, like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the acts and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he, has, he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man who, has, who he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Is he preaching the gospel there? Yes, he's already preaching the gospel there. So now, when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, but others said, we will hear you again about this. So Paul went out from their midst, but when but some men did what? Joined and did what? Believed. Now in evangelism, this is one of the things that we, might, we must understand also. That you might deliver the gospel to someone and the person receives it, but might not believe on the spot. Right? So we have the scenario where you teach the gospel, the person believes on the spot. Immediately. And we are so excited about that. You must not be you must not be sad or uh, judge yourself when you go for evangelism and you preach and the person said, let me go and think about it. Let me go and read about it. Okay? You must not be sad, right? I know some of you have been following up on some people and that is what you should do. So when somebody tells you that I'm going for evangelism, let me go and think about it. You're going for evangelism, you preach. And the person said, let me think about it. Let me read about it. You can give the person time. But what you would do is that you must establish what? Contacts. So when you think about it, you have to tell me what you think now, Shebi. You have to tell me what you have thought about. So we will now exchange numbers. Okay, think about it. Let's meet on another day and deliberate on it. So we see here that some people did not believe, right? Some people said, let us go and think about what you have what told us. And some people actually believed and followed him. Do we get it? So... We see that ignorance was capitalized there and because they don't know what they were worshipping, immediately he preached. So we must look around the left kosher. You know, some people used to use, let me give you a sign. Something that you should look out for. It's many on this island. Just a minute, please. 
All right. Sorry, brother. So one of the things that we capitalize on is actually to see people's ignorance and explain the gospel to them, right? Explain the gospel. So you can look around and find that bullseye and use that to start a conversation. It's everywhere on the island. You can find people putting goddess of Aphrodite, whatever, all those empty things. And you can use that to start. It's ignorance. The third one that can help you to initiate a conversation is where there is oppression and darkness. When they, where there is oppression and darkness. Where there is oppression and darkness. Darkness. You can preach the gospel. Let's go to Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3. Let's go to Acts chapter 3. So we've seen sin, which is unbelief. We've seen ignorance, right? We've seen oppression of sickness and darkness, right? So somebody needs the ministration of spirit. So from Acts chapter 3, it said, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of what? Of prayer, the night hour. And a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gates of the temple, that is called the beautiful, to ask hams for those, from those entering the temple. So this man was constantly put there by a group of people. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive hams. And Peter directed his gaze at him and, as John did and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold. But what I do have, I give you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and his ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood up and began to walk and entered into the temple. And walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gates, right? And asking for hands. And they were filled with wonder and amazement and at what had happened to him. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astounded ran towards to them in the portico called in the portico called the Solomons. And Peter saw it and he addressed what the people. He addressed the people. So, in the place of the ministration of healing, the ministration of the things of the Spirit, in the place of the word of wisdom, right? In the place of deliverance, right? When you use the power gifts, right? What we call the power gifts. When you use the power gifts, the end of it is for you to preach the gospel. So, there are many people actually that Jesus healed and they didn't believe. Do you know? There are many people Jesus healed and they did not believe. Whether before or after, they just came to, they came because they wanted the healing. So, we can say that you can administer the things of the Spirit to a man and preach the gospel to that person. So, when you see somebody that is sick, you can preach the gospel, you can administer healing, right? You can administer healing to the person and preach the gospel to the person. Do we get it? So, where you see the domination of darkness... You can see someone being possessed. You can cast the demon out and you can preach the gospel in that context. So those are the place because it's the power of God. Right? The gospel is what? The power of God. All right. So the last point is for 
when, when should I preach? When you see gatherings, when you always see gatherings, people gather. Anywhere you see people gathering, you must always think about sharing the gospel. The reason is because when people gather, an ideology is being promoted. People don't just gather for any reason. They don't gather for reasons. If you gather, the next thing is you begin to discuss something, right? So they just begin to discuss. So everyone wants to promote their ideas. So you two, you come to that place, that marketplace, let me call it that marketplace, and you preach the gospel, right? You find a means to preach the gospel. So this can be classrooms. This can be classrooms within the short breaks, actually. So practically now, are we together? So you always have 10 minutes break. Are we together, right? You always have 10 minutes break after 45 minutes of lectures. That 10 minutes break is a time where people gather in two, three, four, where you can engage people with the teaching of the gospel. You can initiate a conversation there. You can find playgrounds. There are a lot of playgrounds here. It's not like in Africa. There are no playgrounds. We have used all the, play, all the places to build. Okay, maybe in Botswana, you guys have. But we don't have in Nigeria. I don't know, maybe because of where I lived. You know, I live in places where there's no playground. There are playgrounds. Okay. <laughs> people that live in Abuja and all those places. So, where we find playgrounds, right, where people just come to sit down to talk, is also a good place to initiate conversations, right? So, sin, ignorance, uh, oppression. That's why the Solomon's, whatever they call it, that Solomon's environment, Solomon's court, is where you see Peter coming to share the gospel, right? It's a place where people come. So, we have seen this as uh, the places. Do I see about 30 minutes after this? I still have 30 minutes after this. Okay. Thank you, sir. All right. So how do I initiate a conversation now? How do I initiate a conversation? This is just where. How do I initiate a conversation? The first thing is asking questions. Asking questions. Now, in all of the in all of the initiations of conversations, one of the things that is always good there is to sometimes you seek the consent of the person. You seek the consent of the person. Can I ask a question? You have sought the if the person say yes, the person has given you access to ask a question. So even if they take it to anywhere, you will say, I asked. Can I ask a question? So can I ask a question? Is seeking content. So you ask the question. And you seek a consent by asking a question, or you ask a question by seeking a consent, whichever way. So you ask the person, can I ask you a question about this thing you are putting on? Can you tell me the story behind it? Right? So you allow the person to talk, but don't forget, you must not let the person dominate the conversation too much because you have a target. Do you get it? You have words, a target. You don't let the person dominate the conversation. The person might not be like the utopian eunuch. You know, the utopian eunuch, when, when Philip said, Understand it, thou word I read it. The person, he said, how will I understand except someone does what? Explains to me. That's the same style. That is the same style. Can I understand except someone? So you must ask questions. You must ask questions, right? So question is one of the way uh, to, actually, to actually share the gospel. So you can ask a question, uh, about a thing that someone is holding, about even, you can even ask direct questions. Have you heard about Jesus? And the person will quickly want to run through 
whatever they know. You just give the person a few minutes. Then you have to interrupt and begin to tell them what the gospel is. Especially now, this is, this is, this is an advantage because that is why you really need to know what the gospel is, right? You need to know what the gospel is. Because the moment you get out and you ask somebody, do you know about Jesus? Even if the person is an African, they have something to say. Let me tell you, everybody has something to say about Jesus. Even the Turkish, I mean, the locals, they have something to say. They will tell you, oh, it's a prophet. The group of the people that we check, right? They are actually about four people. This category of people are the people in the second group, more or less, because they've heard something about Jesus. So you can start a conversation by actually asking asking questions. The second one, you can also preach, initiate a conversation by responding, by responding to answers, by responding to discussion. A group of people are just discussing things. They are discussing things. In your response, you can actually begin to teach the gospel. Now, if you remember the scripture, I'm trying to look for it. The scripture by which Jesus began to respond. They asked Peter, right? They asked Peter, does your Lord or your master not pay tax? Can we find that scripture for me, please? They asked him, see, does your master not pay tax? Look at what Peter was teaching there. Uh, was, look at what Jesus did there. They came to ask him a question. And in all of that, he passed the message about the gospel. Does anyone find this? Can you help me with the scriptures? Matthew 7. 17. Okay, so we run to Matthew 17. All right. So Matthew 17, let's read from verse 24. Let's read from verse 24. So it said, when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay tax? Did you see that they are the ones that came to ask a question? And that means Peter needed to respond it, and Jesus also needed to say something about it. So, he said, and Peter said, yes, that means he paid tax. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him, to him first, saying, what do you think, Sam, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toll or pay tax? From their sons or from others? And when he said, from others, Jesus said, the son, of, the son is therefore free, right? The son should not be charged. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast the hook and take the first fish that comes up. Then you open, then when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel and take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. Now, the revelation here is 
I think I explained it before, that the, king of, the kings of the earth collect tax not from their own children, right? They don't collect tax. So the, 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 the kings, I'm not talking about this, this current democracy system. Democracy collects from everybody. Democracy collects from everybody. But the king, the system there is that the monarch charge everybody to build castles for his children, right? You see, this palace, Buckingham Palace, it's, tax, it's people's tax that isn't to build all these things. So, they collect that. So, now, Jesus is trying to say that these guys want to collect the, the, uh, the tax that is used for building of the temple, right? Supporting of the temple. So, he's saying that this tax they are collecting, they are actually collecting it for God, Right? In their eyes, in their perspective, they're calling for God, and they are doing the work of God by collecting this tax and building this temple. But in the real sense, they are not meant to tax me because me, I'm the son of that God that they don't understand that they are serving. Do we get it? So they are saying that the God by which they serve, I'm the son. He's not saying I'm not going to, I'm not going to pay tax. He pay tax, but he said that I'm the son of God. That is the message he just told them that I that they want to come and tax, if they had knew that I'm the son of God, by whom they collect tax from other people to build the temple. So I'm the prince of the heaven, right? So they cannot collect tax from me. He's not saying he's, gonna, he's not going to pay tax. He's only trying to say that they need, they need an understanding that I am the Messiah. I am the son of the living God, right? That is what he's just trying to explain there. So in every opportunity that Jesus finds, he uses that to do what? To preach the gospel. In every opportunity Jesus has, whether somebody comes to ask him a question or he himself is asking a question, he uses that to preach the gospel. All right. So we move. Okay. All right, so the next thing is uh, the next thing is actually how methods of evangelism. I think we need to talk about that. Methods of evangelism. We need to really uh, talk about that. The method and modes of evangelism. So for this last, last 30 minutes, we're just going to run through it. So the first method of evangelism, and I'll tell you the one that is effective here. The reason why we are talking about everything is because you are not going to be here forever, right? You are going to be in a different environment. You are not going to be in this environment forever. Is anybody planning to be here forever? Are you going to be in Cyprus forever? You are African. You, I mean, most probably you are not going to be here forever, right? So we want to discuss all the most of evangelism so that it can help you when you get to an environment and you can capitalize on some modes that is acceptable, right? So the first one that we can see is open-air evangelism which is what Peter regularly does at the day of the Pentecost, right? He said, Peter standing with the 11, he preached what? The gospel, right? So evangelism can be accepted in an open environment. Of course, it's not for all environments, okay? It's not for all environments. Some environments, this is not allowed. It's, it's, it's forbidden. In some environments, it's allowed. And we can see that in the scriptures. Just write the scriptures down. Acts 2, 14. Acts 2, chapter 14. Acts 3, 11 to 
Acts 6, verse 6 to 15. Acts 7, verse 1 to 53. The early stages, the early years of the church, this is what you would see, right? Before the time of, before persecution started. So it means that what actually stops the teaching, the open-air teaching of the gospel is actually persecution. That's what stops it. It should be something that is allowed, right? So in the early years of the church, you will see, and you will see that actually... One of the persons that actually did it then, you know, it led to his transition, seeing the Lord, is actually um, Stephen. He did an open, open teaching. So, open air evangelism is allowed. Now, in countries like the UK, it's allowed. Are we together? So, if you go to the UK, it is allowed. If you go to the US, open air evangelism is also allowed. If you go to Nigeria, obviously, you grew up with that. It's allowed. Morning bell. So, eh, wow, I'm new to this country. I'm new to Nigeria today again. Oh, so in some part of Nigeria, it's not allowed. Wow. But the people don't allow it. Mm, wow. So, I'm from a persecuted country too. <laughs> All right. So, it is allowed in some part of Nigeria. So, you should know the environment, right, that you're existing. So, here, it's not allowed. Obviously, not. otherwise, you would have seen many people do it. Like, you would have told you to go and do it. So, it's not allowed. But it's allowed. So, when you get to an environment, you can ask, is open evangelism allowed here? Can I carry my ahuja and just put it beside me and just be teaching the gospel, right? Now, in that, in that, people will gather and listen, right? People passing will listen, right? It's somewhat effective in the sense that when somebody is in that environment, for the period of your teaching, the person can believe, right? And you can know that you have, you know, converted someone, you, you have made someone to believe Christ. So we see that in Acts chapter 4, verse 1 to 4 as well. The teaching, the open teaching of the scripture. Now the second one is one-on-one -on -one evangelism, which is what we call the personal evangelism. One-on-one -on -one ev evangelism, which is what we call the personal evangelism. So we just go to Acts chapter 8. Verse 26. So we see that what Philip was doing to the Utopian eunuch was actually one-on-one -on -one evangelism. Right? So he went after him and began to teach him one-on-one. -on -one. We can learn a lot from it. He asked a question. The person responded. Then he began to teach. So you can actually meet somebody one-on-one. -on -one. You can meet somebody in the school bus and you can preach. You can meet somebody on the street and you can be. Now, this is the most effective in this environment. Hallelujah. This is the most effective in this environment. The one-on-one -on -one evangelism. So it means that you meet a person. This is how you do it. You meet a person. You get the person's consent. Consent is legal. You're giving him the permission to come to share something with you. Then you begin to ask a question. Right? So I meet somebody walking, right? I'm just trying, this is just a guide, right? It's a guide. So not like, a, a, like you must do it this way, but it's a guide. So you meet somebody on the street, right? So can I share something with you? Most, see, most people will tell you yes. Most people will tell you, most will tell you yes. Because they want to share, they want knowledge. Most people, the only people that will tell you no is somebody that does not have time or is busy at work. Those are the people, because there was a time, I think, Annabelle, we met someone, right? 
the person was running to this. I think the person works in the south. I don't know. I think probably she works in the south. So we met a person on the road, right? On the road of and she's like, okay, let's share with the person. She now said, I, I want to hear, but I don't have time. And I, I now calculated before she will trek from here to that junction, she can run and share the gospel and hear and know her stand, at least. So I told her to engage her, and she ran with the lady, and they had a discussion about the preaching of the gospel. So she, she told, okay, she is Catholic. She has heard this. She has heard that. So on the road there, before they got to where she would probably transit to the south side, she was able to share the message of Christ, probably something that she probably had heard. So what we just needed to do is to now track her on the same road <laughs> because she's always following that route to work on Saturday, right? So it just tells you how intentional we have to be when it comes to evangelism. So one-on-one -on -one evangelism is what is acceptable in this place. It's legal. There's no illegality about it, right? So that's why I said the story we saw, we must actually uh, ask that news that we saw. We must actually be able to clarify. Now, the next one is house-to-house -house evangelism, right? There's also house-to-house. -house. You can go from house-to-house. -house. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5, verse 41 to... For the two. See, they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy of to suffer dishonor for the, for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not do what? They did not cease to teach, right, and preach that Christ is Jesus. So they kept preaching from house to house, right? They get, of course, the believer's house is also involved in this one. Those that have not also believed the preaching of the gospel is also involved as many as welcome them. Don't forget, Jesus already sent them out. Right? He sent them out. So, from house to house, that was what Jesus also sent them out to do. He said, any house that receives you, right, let this peace be on it. Let this peace be upon that house. So, the pattern of house to house has also been in the time of Jesus, right? Any house that welcomes you, right? Any house that gives you a cup of cold water, which is fellowship. Hallelujah. Okay. So these are the three major ones that we should focus on. And what we should know, right, what we should know is that these three major ones, these three major ones are actually, right, actually not accepted in every environment, but the one-on-one -on -one is accepted in most environments. Is accepted in most environments. I like us to do practicals, but I don't know if we're after. Now, just one more thing that you need to expect. This is the last thing I think I'm going to teach. This is the last thing. Situations we find ourselves in evangelism. Situations we find ourselves in evangelism. So you find yourself in many situations in evangelism, and you must know. And that one, Pastor Olu already set our minds to it already, that there is persecution in evangelism. Just write it down. There is persecution in evangelism. When you go and evangelize, they will persecute you. Somebody have told somebody here to get out before. Somebody to go away. I don't want to hear you. Or you start a conversation and it's going smoothly. And the person just got provoked, right? So, in evangelism, right, there is actually suffering. Yes, there's suffering. That, that thing is called suffering. That persecution. Acts chapter 14, verse 22. It said, by suffering... We must suffer to get the gospel preached. Let's go to that Acts 14, 22, actually. 
So one of the things is is never just is is suffer. It's, you know, I already said it's at it's hard work, but it is also suffering. Suffering to enter the kingdom of God is not for you to do works. It's actually struggling and pressing to preach the gospel. That is what it means. Acts fourteen twenty two. Is it there? Strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them to continue in the faith, and saying, "We must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God." Now, enter the kingdom of God is not talking about them being saved, right? It's not talking about them being saved. Don't forget, Paul was just recently stoned, right? In that context, he was recently what stoned in that context. He said, "But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium." And having persuaded the crowds, <laughs> they persuaded the crowds to stone Paul. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. And when disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered. You know, it's good. Sometimes you can pretend that you are dead so that they can leave you, you know, so that you can continue the suffering. Right. So, it is in this context that he now preached to them that through many tribulations, we must enter into the kingdom, right? It means to expand the kingdom, to bring people to the kingdom, to preach this kingdom of God. So situations we find, the highest one is death. Just put it there, death. You might be preaching something and, you know, somebody that doesn't like you just so attack you, you know. It's possible, right? But when you have this mindset that this is part of the package of the, of the gospel that we are preaching, it shouldn't create fear in you. So we suffer to get the gospel preached, Right? Paul taught from his experience. He said, thrice I was beaten with rod. Right? So if you read 2 Corinthians, you can write this. 2 Corinthians 11, 23 to 25. He shared the testimony of being beaten. Right? The testimony of being shipwrecked. The testimony of being in the deep of the sea. The testimony of being lonely sometimes. Yes. Being lonely. So the question is, if you are, you are, you are like being lonely, think of the missionaries that serve the purpose of going to the bush to preach the gospel. They can be lonely. You're far away from, you're going to remote areas. So you can be lonely there. Like, you don't find any people that, you know, your face is like. Or let's say you meet somebody. Let's even give practical. You just met someone in city center. You are not, maybe, usually you work together. Maybe Lizzie and Ella work together. But that day, Ella was not around to go do the shopping together. So Lizzie was just in the city center. You now met somebody. And she just started preaching the gospel. The person started asking questions. Preaching the gospel. Now, at some point, right, at some point you will feel like, I wish there's somebody here that can actually support what I'm doing, right? So at some point you won't even have answers to the person, some questions the person will ask. And you feel like, wow, I'm just here alone on my own. So that can actually, you know, that can actually take place, right? That can actually happen to a person. Do we get it? So these are the things and you will feel like, you know, you're done. But even in that context, don't feel, uh, don't feel as if, you have not shared the gospel. Don't feel, uh, how am I going to put it? Because you are sharing and the person has not yet believed or the person has not, is yet to understand or the person gave you a question that you cannot answer. Don't feel down, right? Still rejoice that you have shared and look for a means by which you can follow. So many situations we can find ourselves during evangelism. Other situations we can find ourselves in evangelism is we can be arrested, actually, during evangelism, right? We can be arrested. The authority can call our action. They can call us for action. 
Okay, they can call, okay, why are you doing what? Like what we saw already, I've talked about the news. So we can be called. We can be called. We can be called by the authority of a particular country. All right. So persecution is one of the packages of, of this, of this, of this message. Now the last thing I already said the last thing, but yes, this is just one thing, just an encouragement to conclude. Now, when you share the gospel and somebody does not believe, right? You share the gospel and somebody does not believe. Have you done your responsibility? Yes. You have done what? Your responsibility. So, it will be wrong for you to also feel bad. Don't feel bad if somebody does not believe. Don't feel bad, right? I'm just going to be throwing a couple of points in this last minute. Don't feel bad if you preach the gospel and somebody does not believe. Secondly, if you preach the gospel and somebody does not cry, don't feel bad. Don't say, like, it's not part of, it's not, in, in the receiving of the gospel, it's not, even if the person does not feel remorse. So most of the time we have been taught to preach the gospel that the person must cry, the person must feel remorse, the person must, that is when you preach sin and condemnation, actually. Do we get it? So your gospel should not trigger um, crying, should not trigger remorse, should not trigger all those emotions. No, it should trigger faith. It should trigger what? Faith. So these are the things that you will meet. So you probably meet someone, you are teaching, you are teaching the person, the deliverance of Christ, um, the deliverance of God through Christ, how Christ died and rose again. And, and the person is like, I've heard you and I've believed. Ah, and maybe the person is still even smoking. Like, I heard you. I believe. <laughs> now, he has believed, though. He has believed. He has believed the gospel. The, what is necessary for him to continue from that point is the Christian living that shows that he has believed the gospel. Do we get it? So, if you find somebody doing things that are wrong, and you now approach them, and they now say that they have believed the gospel, right? The thing is that the faith has the works that follows it, right? The conduct that follows it. So, that is what you now begin to teach. Do we get it? So, the faith has the conduct that follows. So, that is what you begin to do what? To teach. So, that brings me to the last thing. Four persons that you meet during evangelism. I've taught it before in church, but I'll just teach it again. Four persons. You should write this down because when you are doing evangelism, you should identify these four people. Quickly. If you identify these four people, it simplifies your work, like your work of evangelism. You won't waste your time. First, the person that is ignorant that has never heard the gospel. The person that is ignorant that has never heard the gospel. So you must quickly decipher people. So this is deciphering now. When you initiate the conversation, the person is there. You begin to talk to the person. You must quickly know if the person is in any of these four categories. One, the person that is ignorant, that has never heard the gospel, has never heard about Jesus, or has only heard the name, does not know that there's a message attached to it. Okay? That's one. The second person is the person that has heard the gospel but is argumentative and has his own message. So the second person, he has heard the gospel 
but he is argumentative and has his or her own message. So this could be people from other religions. Do you get it? It could be people from other beliefs. They have their beliefs. They have their ideas. They have, the, they have their philosophy. So to them, when you approach them, they are not ignorant. They are not ignorant. They are only ignorant of the gospel. So they are coming with a body of knowledge. The third person that you meet is somebody that is, how, how did I put it there? Somebody that is actually accusing the body of Christ. Let's put it that way. Somebody that is accusing the body of Christ. So it means someone that is offended in the body of Christ. He's offended in the body. I did not say the body offended him. We did not offend the person. The person is offended in the body of Christ. means that the person is picking up an offense in the body of Christ. That's the third person. Then the fourth category of person is the person that has heard the wrong gospel. The person has heard, the person believes in Jesus, he has heard the wrong gospel, but, and he has believed, actually, he believes, you know, but there's attachment to the gospel. So first, the person that has never heard the gospel. Secondly, the person that is argumentative. Third, the person that is offended in the body of Christ. The fourth one is the person that is, what? That had the wrong gospel. Thank you. Now, four of them are different categories of people, like I told before. Four of them are t- different categories of people. For the person that is ignorant of the gospel, you have an advantage because their heart is more like an open sheet. Right? Their heart is, what, is more like an open sheet. For that person, when you teach, right? When you teach the gospel, the person's heart is open, like, tell me. In fact, the person is probably getting an accurate teaching of Christ for the first time. Maybe he has been hearing it somewhere, but nobody has approached him one-on-one to share the gospel. So for that person, it's an advantage. When you identify those people, the moment you come to ask them, do you know about Jesus? He's like, mm, I've heard of him. 